Hello listeners and welcome back to another Total Italian Football podcast where we will review match day three of the 2023-24 Serie A season. Um, you'll be hearing a familiar voice. Um, I'm Kev Pogzielski. I am a debutant host. We're down from four um, people taking part to two today. We're missing regular host Connor Clancy and also uh, Ewan Burns. Ewan, I believe, is in France. If he's not, then it's his own fault. He's not here to uh, tell me otherwise. Um, so what we do have, you've got myself and you've got Vito Doria. So Vito Doria, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. I'm just getting adjusted to the whole idea of you being the host for the first time. This does somewhat get sprung on you as it's uh, 7.30am in Australia there. So you just wake up to the news that you've got my uh, beautiful sounding voice um, sort of leading us on our merry way today. And um, I'll do that by going through the match day three um, results. So on Friday, um, things started to have with Sassuolo beating Verona 3-1. Roma then lost uh, to Milan at the Stadio Olimpico. Uh, we went through to Saturday with uh, a somewhat expectant uh, Udinese nil, Frosinone nil. Then we had Bologna beating Cagliari 2-1. Atalanta won 3-0 uh, when Monza visited Bergamo. Napoli lost 2-1 to uh, Lazio. That was the first win of the season for the Romans, which came again in Naples somewhat uh, unexpectedly. And then we move into Sunday where Inter beat Fiorentina 4-0. Torino uh, downed Genoa 1-0. Empoli and Juventus finished 2-0 to the visitors. And Lecce 2, Salernitana pretty much finished off the weekend. Although due to the uh, time of year that we have in Italy at the moment, Empoli and Lecce games both started at the same time on Sunday evening. So I think probably the uh, best place to start is where we had uh, Alistair McKenzie for Total Italian Football at the Stadio Olimpico in the capital where Rome uh, lost 2-1 to Milan and when we did our sort of Syria um, preview I predicted Mourinho would be gone by Christmas uh, they're now in the bottom three um, something's going wrong Vito and what do you think it is? I think they've had issues with injuries, not just now, but also during the duration of Mourinho's time at the club. And I also think now it's come to the point that it's a really a matter of that third year, just when things fall apart for Mourinho at clubs, that the message just gets stale and tactically they become too predictable for the opposition. Mourinho's strength is in nullifying opponents, but uh, they're not the kind of uh, team Roma to just uh, go out on the attack and try to create chances. That's not their style, especially under Mourinho. So I think if the Giallorossi players are looking for the team to sort of become more expansive, I think that's very unlikely. It's a matter that they just got to focus on Stick it to what Mourinho knows, which is about sort of trying to block the opposition from playing their game and then just hit on the counter or rely on set pieces like a free kick from Lorenzo Pellegrini or something like that. I suppose it was very much sort of classic Mourinho, the start he had in, in Rome, where he, he sort of won a, won a trophy with the Europa Conference League and that takes those players along with him. And, you know, where they were obviously narrowly defeated in the Europa League last season and that would have maybe kept this going for a little bit longer but if that success isn't coming like you say that the football is a little bit hard to love and if the train is a little bit hard to love I can see why the why the players maybe don't um, you know go along with him there but it's 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 I suppose the international breaks come at a good time for Roma do you think and now they can maybe try and regroup could you even see the possibility that they regroup and Mourinho chooses this as the ideal time to walk away he, I've got a feeling he did that in his first spell at Chelsea. It was just before an international break where he left them a couple of games into the season. It might be a possibility because they, they've lost games that they probably should have been able to get a point from, or at least in the Verona game on paper, even though it was in Verona, they should have won. This game was probably a bit tricky 
considering how well Milan have started the season and the purchases they've made. But uh, to lose to Verona, and also on the first match day to draw against Salernitana, there's still pretty disappointing results for a club like Roma and also for a coach like Mourinho. You'd think that he would have got six points from those two games. So to have those bad results and then follow this up, uh, it's not good. And if he would resign from here, it would give his successor a lot more time to sort of build the team and then at least focus on January. But uh, I've got a feeling that in most cases, this will be a this will be a situation which I reckon the Friedkin family, I'll probably sack him before he resigns. That's just my view. Wow, he'll get sacked, not uh, not just resign. You um you, you touched on the the signings that Milan have made this uh, this summer and, and Alistair uh, at the Olympico wrote a piece post-game about how impressed he was with um, Reinders and, and Lubin, Ruben Loftus-Cheek uh, in the Milan midfield, almost um, that they were being overshadowed in the media, should we say, by the sort of plaudits Christian Pulisic was getting because of you know the goals he scored. Um, and was it as simple as them sort of dominating and and also that they you know they, they they just haven't had that bedding in period which you kind of expect players coming to Italy particularly from you know alternative leagues uh, are required to have really that's probably one thing that's surprised me because as some of our listeners would know I was one of the few people on total-italianfootball.com that did not tip AC Milan for top four because I thought that it would take time for Milan to I didn't to want to gel. mention that, Vito. Fair enough. <laughs> oh, look, I thought I'd just start eating my humble pie a bit early. Three games in, that is early. Yeah. Anyway. But you're liking what Loftus-Cheek is doing, because he obviously won the he won the penalty, um, yes. which Giroud sort of converted mm. um, early in the game. And uh, if they can keep him fit, he looks like he's going to be a great addition. Yes, like most of the other new signings, he's he's managed to fit in very quickly, and instead of taking time like some players might have, especially last season, uh, Loftus Cheek is one of those players that's already made an impact, uh, making an important contribution for Stefano Pioli's team, and without going too much into cliches, I think it's easy, at least in the English press, when they look at. Uh, Italian players, they question if they can adapt to the pace and physicality of English football. In this case, this is the opposite side of the spectrum. You know, you'd think that someone from from the UK would have trouble adapting to the tactical and the technical aspects of the Italian game. But there have been a few players in recent years that have shown signs of being able to adapt. And it looks like Loftus-Cheek is adapting to a different style of football rather quickly. Yeah, I'm, I'm asking me. I, I didn't expect Milan to be, you know, as good as soon as this, and that was partly, you know, what you were saying, where you, you had a, you know, some excellent signings on paper, but you expected them to need a bit of a bedding in process. But also the, you know, the games that they had at the start of the season, they've they've had on, in in my view, two really hard away games. You know, notwithstanding Roma's form, they they went to Bologna, who sort of finished the season really strongly. I really rate. Tiago Motta as a coach, yet they managed to sort of grind out a win there. Um, now Roma, they're nine from nine. Uh, only play once at home. So do you think they're the, the front runners for the title this year? Although it's early days, I think they're putting themselves in an excellent position to do so. I think with the type of football that they're playing now and how well those players have gelled, I think they're definitely going to be putting themselves up there in that conversation to fight for the title. So um, we'll go to the other side of, of the two Milan clubs, which is which is Inter. Um, they're the only other side in Serie A with a 100% record. Um, they, they trounced Fiorentina 4-0. Um, I've not seen as much of... Uh, Inter as I have Milan but have they been even more impressive do you think? I think that even though they did not sign some players that they want to they still managed to get players that would help improve the team so 
at least that Simone Inzaghi will have his preferred 11, but he's got better options coming off the bench. So I think in terms of rotations, I think this season you'll get them right. Based on their style of play, I see that with Lautaro Martinez, he's taken on greater importance up front because he's now the captain and he's that proven goal scorer. Whereas with Marcus Turam, he got that lovely header to start the scoring against Fiorentina. But I still think he can improve. And uh, I think one of the aspects of Inter's game is that they're probably a bit more direct going forward. Or they're not going sideways or backwards. They're very much a slick counter-attacking side. They know how to throw numbers forward at pace. And if you give them enough space, they'll definitely destroy opponents because they are very slick on the ball and they've got those fast moving players another aspect too is that Hakan Chalonoglu he's doing well in that deep lying playmaker role so he's filling in the gap left by Marcelo Brozovic and I think in addition to his distribution usually being very effective he's also showing that he can help out defensively too so I think when you can have a player like that starting to contribute to both aspects of the game, I think that's a welcome bonus for Inter. And if they keep it up, they'll be hard to beat too. Yeah, I think it was a really lovely finish by Martinez for the for the fourth <coughs> as he kind of just sort of swept swept the uh, cross over the goalkeeper um, first time. But before the game, so me and Connor did a sort of little bonus pod once I got back from Italy. Um, or what week are we in now? So um, late last week. And we were discussing Marcus Turan because I'd sort of sat in a bar in uh, Florence and, and watched Inter beat Cagliari away. And I had question marks over whether he could perform a sort of a two-man partnership, if you like, with Martinez because I I saw him at Munchen Gladbach play off the left and I thought he was arguably more dangerous sort of running at players from from a wider position now he got his header from a, a very central position sort of you know power in a power in a header past a goalkeeper but then also found himself in a, a left-hand position in the second half where he played that sort of wonder before curled through ball for martinez to to run on to what, what are your thoughts on him being able to for sort of um Forge to create a, a successful partnership with another striker rather than, you know, maybe Inzaghi having to move him out wide to, to get the best of him. And again, you know, you've said it before, we've, we're talking about three games into the season, so there's plenty of time for uh, these things to work themselves out. They definitely do have Tom on their side, and uh, as I pointed out, I think Taram does still need a bit more time to adapt to Italian football and Inzaghi's tactics. But based on the points you've mentioned, I think it shows that Turam and Lautaro aren't going to have fixed positions. The way both players play, they're both mobile players, they're both fairly quick. And also, if they're able to interchange positions, that will give the opposition defenders a lot more headaches. If they can draw out the opponents to a wing or force them to drop into midfield, things like that. That sort of flexibility, uh, that will be very beneficial for Inter when they're creating their attacks. And um, so I was in I was in Florence uh, when I was watching into, on match day two and I'd just seen them um, throw away a two-goal lead against Lecce. Um, this game against Inter could have maybe been eight, the amount of chances they sort of afforded their hosts. Um, it you know it, it feels like they're going back to that old well at the moment not even inconsistent but you know throwing goals away. Um, Italiano was um, he wasn't pulling his hair out because he hasn't got any against Lecce, um, but he looked completely sort of dissatisfied with how they were defending against Inter. And you know are they gonna are they gonna start slipping down again after showing so much so much promise last season and. You know, of, of people of a certain age like myself becoming at least a European spot chasing side. They should be trying to consistently challenge for European spots. And we also need to consider that they're only in the Conference League again because 
Juventus received that ban for capital gains fraud. So uh, that's why they've been banned for from UEFA, I should say. As for Fiorentina themselves, uh, I think it's part and parcel with Italiano's tactics. He's going to prioritise attacking, but he's got his philosophy. He often just plays in that 4-3-3 formation, and there's not much uh, tactical flexibility. Perhaps he might need to make some minor tweaks to how his team defends, like maybe defend in a deeper block or the way they press needs to improve because on the ball they are an excellent team to watch, but it's clear that they've got lots of issues to resolve defensively and that's something Italiano needs to work on in training. Yeah, there was something I noticed when I was in um, Florence at the Frankie and it was Nico Gonzalez. Because I, mean, I was so impressed by his heading ability, and actually, he, in the flesh, I realised he's much taller than what I, I thought he was. I thought he was sort of like a diminutive winger for some reason. Um, and there was a few rumours around the potential departure. I think there were some Premier League clubs sniffing around. Um, the transfer window, which is now shut, hadn't when when I saw him play for Fiorentina. Um, I, I I had concerns about almost um, prima donna-esque um, behaviour at times against Lecce. Uh, he's changed from <laughs> number 22 to, to 10. I don't know if that's influencing his behaviour, but almost that there wasn't the tracking back like when he first arrived in Serie A and, uh, and whether that's had a sort of detrimental effect on the team because he was quite influential for them. I don't know how much you've had a chance to look at Fiorentina this year or you, you, won, you think that that's the reason to why they're maybe not as cohesive as they've been in previous, well, I saw last season under Italiano. It's an interesting aspect to pick up on because Nico Gonzalez is a player with a lot of pace and he is usually known to be someone with that great stamina. Not only that, even if he's got a track back or drop deeper, he is someone who has the ability to run down the wing and beat a few opponents. So, I think from that aspect, if he's not showing the defensive responsibilities, that's probably a bit disappointing. However, yeah, I don't it w- think it's the be-all, end-all with uh, resolving Fiorentina's defensive problems. Um, I think also that, yeah, just with Fiorentina, that, you know, um, I think ultimately, you know, you can have your forward players tracking back, but at the same time, your defenders need to know how to defend first. So... As much as it is a systematic thing, sometimes these things are also down to individual errors too. So I think it's a little bit of everything, but it's nevertheless an intriguing aspect to pick up on. So if we move, uh, where are we? If we move west, uh, we'll go over to... Oh, no, well, we are technically moving west, but we're moving southwest because they didn't play in Turin. So Juventus visited uh, Empoli in Tuscany. And Empoli are now uh, the only side in Syria that are still pointless. Um, I know Connor will be happy about that because uh, he doesn't find any trips he needs to make uh, down there um, easy or enjoyable. Um, and, and you covered this for Total Italian Football uh, Veto and you, you had your free takeaways. So maybe you go through those uh, one by one in a bit more detail for me because um, I've been busy moving to Liverpool this weekend and uh, I'll be honest with you, mate, I've not had a chance to fully read them. So um, what did you think of the the Empoli-Juventus game? I think in some aspects it was a routine win. However, I wouldn't particularly put this down as just being a, a boring, allegory win. I think more than anything, just although Juventus scored the two goals, they were still not clinical enough. And Empoli did not show any signs of pulling off a shock win like they've done in previous seasons. Uh, If we're going to focus on my takeaways, I think that with Danilo, he's definitely showing that he's a very important part of the squad because he's one of the more experienced players at about 32 years of age. And he's still in excellent condition. He's not deteriorating like we saw with Bonucci in the last two seasons. Uh, He's still a good distributor, aware defensively, and 
You know, he can come up with goals. He had one disallowed, rightly so, for fouling the new Empoli goalkeeper, Etrit Berisha, but then there was another chance that he managed to score soon after, and he took that opportunity. So with Danilo, I think he's one of those all-round defenders that he'll help out with both sides of the game, offensively and defensively. Yeah, I, I think it was the way they got their goals, really. I think that those are people that are just watching the highlights, like all I, you know, I was only able to do, makes it feel like it was an Allegri special um, because they just break away at the end and, you know, Chiesa finishes it off. And I don't know about you, I thought the Vlavic penalty was certainly one of the worst or the worst in Serie A I've seen in this season. Um, probably one of, the worst, one of the worst I've seen for many a season um, but what, what else did you uh, you take away from the game there uh, like you mentioned I did uh, write about Chiesa actually so there was in fact that goal and he had a similar sort of chance earlier where he just ran through a few opponents and he just missed the goal so I thought you know he could have added another one there but in general I think Chiesa at full fitness, he's really looking like he can become the real deal. Just the way he just attacks at speed, he shows that he's got limited fear, and he can combine well with teammates. He's not just the individualist. He's got the individual skills, but he hasn't got that overly selfish mindset. So if he can combine with his teammates, or his teammates can see that he's the guy that's going to turn things around for you over, I think he really is doing much better playing in an attacking duo for this 3-5-2 formation and that now Allegri is not punting him as a wing back like Iacchini did at Fiorentina so I think that's a plus because Chiesa although he can run on the wings or drop back I think he does his best damage in the penalty area and he's shown that he's a capable finisher too. He feels like he's the most likely to sort of stick around as well and sort of have a team built around him because while Vlajevic didn't get sold during the summer, he does look like their most saleable asset if they want to try and recoup some funds to help with, you know, future FFP and almost rebuilding a squad, which looks a little threadbare sort of from quality reinforcements. I know they've got some youth coming through, um, but, you know, and Pogba who had a, Got ruled out at the weekend as continually, um, you know, sort of faltering through injury rather than effort. And, you know, it's, yeah, be interesting. I hope, I probably hope he stays there because Chiesa deserves to be, you know, the man that they build a team around, I think. So, um, anything else on this game? Certainly nothing from the Empoli side. As for my final takeaway, which you can also read about on total-italianfootball.com, is the loss of Guglielmo Vicario. He was fantastic for Empoli in the last two seasons, and there were games that I would watch of Empoli where I thought they should have been destroyed, but his ability to just deal with waves of attacks and pull off some outstanding saves, whether he'd have to die for them or make fingertip saves, he would just make these quality saves that very few goalkeepers can make, and... And you can see that uh, without him, that there's a bit of confidence missing or they don't have the same protection with him there. And you look at him now, he's taken the place of Hugo Lloris at Spurs and the team in general under Antipostokoglu has been transformed. So it's not just a Vicario thing, but he's still been a part of that. And to go from a relegation battle in Italy to a team that's looking like an early front runner to the Premier League title, I think it's... A great change of path for Vicario, but it also shows that uh, Empoli, who have no points, and they're having trouble up front as well, they haven't got his assurance. So the more the season progresses, I think the more it shows that Vicario was just such an important player for them. And uh, if they get relegated and they finish rock bottom, just goes to show you what an outstanding player he was for the previous two seasons. Yeah, I think any side that struggles for goals like Empoli do need, you know, that quality in goal. And any Serie A uh, fans that also support Tottenham, I think will be um, 
very happy to hear you call them early front runners for the uh, Premier League title because um, that's not happened for some seasons and they're, they're very rarely early uh, early contenders. So um, we'll uh, watch that space. I'm confident that maybe that's um, <laughs> they're, 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 a, they're a couple of signers away from the title, but um, they'll challenge for Champions League places, I imagine, when themselves not in Europe. So um, then we move on to the side that were um, Serie A's pot one uh, seed for the Champions League draw that took place last week, Napoli. Um, defending champions uh, had uh, winless Lazio come into the Stadio Diego Maradona and um, could be the early surprise of the season that Napoli ran away 2-1 uh, winners. It was quite surprising to see Lazio earn that victory, especially after losing to two weak opponents on paper, shall we say, in those opening games. However, this was a totally different prospect to go to Naples and get the win. Napoli were certainly the better side in the first half, and although that goal was against the run of play by Luis Alberto... Lovely goal. Oh, beautiful. Just the whole construction of it, just from the counter-attack... Direct passes, then Felipe Anderson's low cross to that audacious back heel. Just fantastic improvisation by the Spaniard. Although Napoli did get one back, there was still that aspect that the Parteno pay did not look as sharp as they used to. And even though they didn't have many shots on target, uh, Providel was still alert enough to make some uh, crucial saves. Yeah, he made some crucial saves, but um, that... Zielinski goal shouldn't have got through him, should it? Really, it was a bit of a scuffed effort that bobbled in. I don't, yeah. Even even watching it back and looking at the bobble, I didn't. I thought he should have done better, but um, like you say, he probably made up of it for his overall performance uh, in Naples. He should did, and another thing too is that the player that uh, deflected the ball. Uh, Kamada, he ended up scoring the winning goal. So that too was a fantastic move with Felipe Anderson with the low cross. Luis Alberto cheekily just letting the ball run and then Kamada timed his run and scored with that low daisy cutter. So that was a well-taken chance. And to be honest, in the second half, the Bianco Celeste did look like the better side. So they were defending well in numbers, but on the counter-attack, they were looking good. And Matteo Guendouzi, on another day, he would have had a goal and an assist, but two goals were chalked off rightly for offside, but he looked good when he came on. So uh, the Lazio that played against Napoli totally looked different to what they produced in the first two rounds, and hopefully for their sake, they can build some momentum because Lazio did look like a rather dangerous side when they were launching those counter-attacks. Yeah, I'd, I'd forgotten about those goals that got disallowed, actually. And the Guendouzi signing, because it got quite a lot of media attention, um, at least on social media that I was uh, using in my very fleeting spare moments this weekend <coughs> or the end of last week. Um, I, I knew about that, but the Camada sort of signing sort of slipped me by. I don't know when it when it, when it it happened. Obviously, he's come from Eintracht Frankfurt, hasn't he? Do you know much about him? I do know a little bit because in the past I would follow the German Bundesliga and he's a versatile player and he does have good skills with the ball. So I think he is a welcome addition to the Lazio squad. He's a different player to Sergei Milinkovic-Savic and I still think the Serbian is quite irreplaceable in some aspects. However, Kamada will add his own identity and... He has experience in European football. He was a part of the Frankfurt team that bet Rangers in the 2022 Europa League finals. So he's used to the big occasion. And I think that sort of experience will be handy for them when they participate in the Champions League this season. And what do you think about Napoli? I think nobody expected them to win the total last year. Um, but they've had... They've had a bit of a stuttering start. They they went behind at the start of the season to Frosinone. They they pulled that back as you'd probably imagine them to do against a significantly weaker uh, opposition, shall we say? And I know they're only a couple of points off of um, the the sort of front runners, but I don't know. It just you know I, personally, I blame that they wore black 
Um, but there you go. That's my uh, that's my that's my kit uh, crime shout for this weekend. <laughs> um, but you know, you wrote something last season about how poor Milan's total defence was, and I think they're an easy target to think that after the surprise of their their tied to win last year and losing Spalletti, who's now obviously taken over at, at the Azzurri. Um, do you think it's going to be a difficult season for this year? You know, I, you know, I tip them to. Well, I nearly tip them to fall out of the uh, top four, and you know, kind of got convinced convinced otherwise, and threw out Lazio instead. I think, and mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I just, I'm, I almost want to be proved right because I tipped them to sort of fail last year, and we all had that thrown back in our faces. Mm. I was definitely someone that did not tip them last season. I thought last year was going to be the transition year for them. A bit like how I thought of AC Milan earlier this season, but they ended up winning the Serie A title with such conviction. This season, though, I don't think it's a case of many tweaks tactically. I think it's more personnel. So, uh, Kovicic Carvalho at Scalia got brought into the squad for his first start. Had a good chance to score. Didn't look like his usual sharp self. Raspadori started the other two games. But I'm curious to see how the defence will hold up this season. Um, for instance, the new signing, Nathan, from Brazil, hasn't uh, started a game yet. Garcia has played with Juan Jesus. And at left-back, Matias Oliveira started ahead of Mario Rui. So I'm curious to see how Nathan and Mario Rui will play together with uh, Rachmani and Di Lorenzo. Very much one to watch then, by the sounds of it, mate. Um, so let's go to the... Uh, nearly went to the team in fourth, but it's Lecce. So let's go to the team currently sat in fifth. Although I used to have a thing, because in the 90s, they never used to show uh, league tables until five games in. But currently Atalanta are fifth and they beat Monza 3-0 at home. Um, they just lost Duvan Zapata who was kind of rumoured to leave all summer but I didn't expect him to be going to Torino Um, I certainly wasn't as clued up with that as other people and the player they did bring in on a really really good signing personally for what was around 30 million euros from West Ham Gianluca Scamacca Um, he scored two goals and you know, sort of set his marker down for him to be the new focal point of that team. He's sort of 24, um, could go on to become a bit of a cult hero if he doesn't perform so well that somebody else goes and wrestles him away for a big fee. He showed that on his first start that he can be a leader in the attack, that having that focal points in that Atalanta side is important and that... His performances in particular will be important for Ladea. And when uh, when I saw him play against Monza, I thought, you know, that he is an excellent fit for this team. Uh, he's in an ideal environment to improve his game as well. And as good as those strikes were, he probably had a few other chances too. So it's not just like he was being clinical and just being at the right place at the right time. He's someone that uh, the Atalanta players can trust. Uh, they can give him the right service and I think his game will grow and he didn't get caught up for the Italy squad so I think after scoring this brace on the weekend I think he can build up his form and perhaps try and win Spalletti over because he does have the tools to become an excellent centre forward Okay, I don't, you know, without Connor here uh, I'm not... uh... What's the word I'm looking for? Knowledgeable enough to go in much deeper on Atalanta. So we will move to Lecce. They beat Salernitana 2-0 at home. Um, Seven points and in fourth. Um, Excellent start. Um, It's a really good sign that they're going to stay up again this year. Um, Is there anything from this game that sort of took your eye? I think Lecce to beat Salernitana is still a decent enough result because Salernitana look like another team that's probably going to do more than avoid relegation. They might be another team that will try and sit comfortably mid-table and they've had some uh, decent results. Even though they haven't won yet, Salernitana is still not too bad as yet. 
Uh, Lecce themselves have definitely taken me by surprise because as we did the preview pod, uh, I did not think favourably of the appointment of Roberto De Versa as coach. But uh, once again, Lecce have built themselves a decent enough squad. And uh, I think as long as uh, De Versa gets his rotations right and the team maintains its shape, looks like uh, they'll be fine. And if we're going to look at individuals, they've lost that defensive midfielder, the Danish player, Hume. Hulmund, I think I watched his name, but he went to Sporting in Portugal. He was important in the promotion from Serie B, had a good season Serie A. So to go and start like this without him, I think that's a positive sign as well. Maybe he was holding them back, Vito. They were too defensive, you know, with a holding midfielder. So <laughs> they've uh, released the shackles of Lecce, maybe. Possibly. Um, and a, a team that I thought might struggle this year just because of how they ended last season and it only won two of their last 13 games which was the Swallow. They, they've been without Berardi um, for a little while you know it, there was again as we have every transfer window rumours around him staying with Sassuolo it feels like he's never going to leave and it was kind of you know that classic story of he's the person that changes the game they went um they went ahead, I'm right in thinking. Yes, they went ahead through Pinamonte. Uh, and then Ngonj equalised, although somewhat fortunately because it was a cross. And then Berardi comes in, wins um, wins the foul that he scores the penalty from. Oh, no, he scores he scores the, the first of their... Well, sorry, the second of their three goals. And then he wins a penalty and he converts that. So um, he was match winner in every sense. And... He's just so crucial for this team. Berardi's that talisman for Sassuolo, and it's really showed that over the years since they have been in Serie A. It's been 10 years that they've been there, and we've we've been able to watch his progression as a youngster and be a focal part of that team. And it seems like, compared to other transfer windows, that it might have been his time to leave. But uh, it did not turn out that way. If anything, this has shown that he's not only just so important to the Nero Verdi side, but also shows that he's one of those, as they say in Italian football, a bandiera or a flag waver, someone who's like the image of the club or someone that shows loyalty to the club. So I think that's great for them while they are in Serie A. And in terms of prolific scorers and all that for provincial clubs, there is a bit of that... uh, Antonio Di Natale-esque aspect about him, how Di Natale was just so important for Udinese, banging all those goals. And uh, Berardi does the same thing, and he's also doing it from a not very central position either because he predominantly plays on the right wing. So I think that makes his statistics a bit more remarkable. You don't think he's leaving then. Fair enough. Um, so, so the other person I said was on the score, for, the score sheet for Hellas Verona, which was in Gonj, and... Um, again he had another decent end to the season that ultimately helped them stay up ignoring the thoughts on whether there should and shouldn't have been a uh, a playoff for the team that stayed up against Betsia but he looks like uh, one to watch Vita what do you think? Last season I didn't think too much of him because it seemed like he needed some time to really make an impact or just because the rest of the team was struggling, didn't look like he had a platform to succeed. However, at the start of this season, he's looked very promising, very sharp. So I think he could be another surprise packet that uh, Serie A fans can keep an eye on because he's uh, he's a player that, you know, he is quick and he's got some good skills on the ball. But yeah, his ability to finish, even though what the goal he scored against the Swall was a bit fortunate. But in general, I think... He's got a bit of finishing quality that might help the Jello Blue survive again this season. And uh, just starting to round up the uh, fixtures for the weekend, Bologna beat Calgary 2-1. Uh, a terrible, terrible error uh, from the goalkeeper uh, Radonovic uh, in the very, very last minute, uh, literally dropping the ball onto the foot of Fabian. Um, if you're a club like Calgary and you're hoping to stay up 
you do not need your goalkeeper making mistakes like that. No. And this is similar to the Vicario situation at Empoli. Uh, in previous years, we would see Alessio Cranio just constantly bailing Cagliari out in previous years. But he went to Monza last season, couldn't take the place of Michele Di Gregorio, and now he's on the books of Sassuolo. So I think it's a bit of a shame that Cranio's had that downfall. But also, when I see Radunovic looking as shaky as he has been in the opening rounds, I just think that, you know, Cagliari should have held on to someone like Cranio because he was so reliable. Whereas now with uh, Radunovic, uh, I don't think they have much assurance and that is concerning because uh, although I like Zito Luvumbo, the guy that scored the goal for Cagliari, uh, I don't think even with Pavoletti and Patania up front, they've got enough weapons going forward to really fire in the goal. So they need to find ways to be bit more watertight at the back and correct me if i'm wrong and i've just missed the transfer but cranio must still be at monza is he but he isn't first uh, choice so no um as as i just pointed out he actually moved to sassuolo and he still can't uh, take consider oh, okay. place so yeah well wherever he much. is then he could potentially be back in calgary so he's probably missed a trick leaving there yeah i think maybe in january you should push for a move back to Cagliari. I think it might be too late by then, to be honest. <laughs> but there you go, you never know. Um, on to your favourite subject, um, at least when Sampan in Syria. thought I'd get that in first. Uh, <laughs> Torino uh, beat Genoa 1-0 uh, in Turin. So, um, you know, Genoa have, have, have still got three points on the board, um, which is only one less than Torino. But uh, but I suppose you're happy with, um, with that. And also the fact that the victory came so late for Torino by a, a fabulous sort of Radonjic. Hopefully that's the correct pronunciation. That's not what I'm here for. Mm. Um, so, solo goal. Oh, that was a beautiful goal by Nemanja Radonjic. Yeah, a fantastic strike. He had to hit it for the angle that he did. Uh, it was incredible. And to do it so late in the game, usually you'd expect something a bit more simplistic or something you'd say, you know, where you've really sort of fought an inch for the ball type of thing but uh, this was just a piece of individual quality and and yeah just of course you know two defeats for Genoa that's another bonus too yeah I don't I don't think you can you can let the defender off there by either saying that Radonjic took him on within the area so you didn't want to make a challenge or that you know mm. it was maybe sort of tired legs towards the end of the game I think it was just really really Poor defending. It just looked like the Genoa, the Genoa player. And sorry, I forget who it was that um, he sort of took it around. He just wasn't strong enough, you know. Just sort of let him ghost past him, and then I don't know. I suppose it's it's, it's a ridiculous angle to score from. But again, I think you probably don't want your goalkeeper being beaten by from there. But um, yeah, when it's when it's not say less a consolation goal and it's more a winner, then yeah, let them have it because it. Must have been a wonderful let off in the um, the Grande Torino Olimpico, whatever. Yeah, Stadio Grande Torino Stadium. There we go. Thank you very much, Vito, for your uh, assistance there, mate. You're welcome. Uh, and then we've got the the last game, which very much deserves to be the last game, possibly even before the score um, that I alluded to at the start was predictable. Uh, Udinese nil. Uh, Frozenoni nil. Should we just not talk about that one? The only thing I'll say about that is that for Frozenone, another valuable point considering how poor they've been historically in Serie A. So they continue the decent start to life back in Serie A. Okay then. Um, so hopefully uh, next pod listeners will have uh, Connor back. Um, he did also go to the Parma uh, Reggiana derby um, did a little piece on total Italian football and then uh, obviously it was nil-nil so um, easily more excitement off the pitch than on it which is often the case with derbies at any level um, you're doing a bit of Serie B stuff now Vito so um, was there anything else to sort of mention just briefly while we Look to fill a little time because there is only two of us, so this has been a shorter pod than usual for listeners. Uh, 
from now on I'll be doing a write-up for the Total Hyphen Italian Football website. So um, Connor will have a piece that will have his piece on the Darby della Enza, but from uh, next week onwards I'll be focusing on Serie B. And one team to keep out on is the newly promoted Catanzaro from southern Italy, from the capital of Calabria. Uh, they're doing very well. They demolished opposition last season in Serie C, Gerone C, uh, finishing comfortably on top, scoring over 100 goals in the season. And this season they look like they're going to be an early contender for promotion. And they're just a wild attacking side. They bet Lecco 4-3, and that was a very dramatic game. There were like four goals in the last seven minutes. And Lecco, their story is quite interesting too because they only got admitted into Serie B a few days ago after the fiasco regarding their stadium. They did not have the paperwork filled out on time because the mayor was on holiday. So they had to go through a few appeal processes. And then last week on Wednesday, they got admitted into Serie A. And also Brescia got admitted into Serie A despite being relegated in a playoff because Regina have been declared bankrupt. Because the mayor was on holiday, absolutely love it. Um, so I look Italian. To, uh, yeah, absolutely. I look forward to um, hopefully finding the time to give it more of a read. Um, but there you go, uh, listeners. I think we will end it there. Come over and see all that content at total-italianfootball.com. Um, I'm completely going to get this wrong. We are on Patreon. You can come and give us a contribution to listen to more of the bonus content that you'll get things like the uh the bonus pod that me and connor did um in the week um yeah it's thank you very much from me hopefully i've been a good uh host on my debut um vita would you like to say goodbye to the listeners and we will leave it there goodbye listeners see you again soon perfect bye bye everybody
Verde por 